Yeah, if your if your values or your mission statement or your vision is just a mouse mat or a poster, <laughs> it's it's really it's kind of missing the point. It's a start. It's yeah. good that you've thought about things. Yeah. But they have to be real. They have to be living things. Your mm. people have to go to work every day knowing that when they take action or do something in the business that it is in line with those mm. things. Um, and they've got to feel that it's a, it's a real thing actually that they can contribute to as well. Hi and welcome to the Unconventionalist podcast. I'm your host, Marco Roost, and this is a show about what it's really like to turn your message into a movement. Now, today's episode is brought to you by the Impact Accelerator. If you're someone who has an important message or if you're on an important mission and you want the world to know about it and you're tired of being the best kept secret, then the Impact Accelerator is for you. Over the course of eight weeks, I will personally coach and mentor you online on a small group of like-minded individuals to accelerate your growth and have a bigger impact by raising your profile and by raising your message. I can't wait to see you in there. That feels right. Go over to www.theimpactaccelerator.com. Welcome back to the show, peeps. It's great to have you here? I've got a really, really exciting guest today. It's it's an amazing conversation, and it's just an amazing human with such a, a powerful story. And that I have no doubt that you'll be seeing our guest much more over on social media and online and, and at events and so forth. But before we, we begin, I just want to say thank you so much for for checking out this podcast. If you're new, welcome. And if you've been around for a while, it's great to have you back. And whether you're new or whether you're a you know, a veteran of the show. I'd love for you to go over on iTunes and leave a rating and review and, and share this episode with a friend. It's the, the best form of compliment you can give me and it's the best thing you can do to pr- help and promote the show. It's been a bit of an emotional week, really. I mean, Notre Dame had, you know, a blazing fire go through it. It survived 900 years, you know, a revolution, two world wars, and then now this fire. And it's, it was just an important reminder, I think, for everyone to kind of appreciate what you have and who you have and just to make sure you have the time to let them know before before it's too late and i want to let you know that we're working tirelessly behind the scenes with king of the ups riley uh, mcgee and i to make sure that we can get out my new course on how to turn your mess into your message uh, in hopefully the next few weeks that should be coming out uh, so for all of you who've been asking for it who've been asking questions it's coming i also want to say a warm welcome to all of you who are new here to the show uh, and if you're a veteran listener then i know that i appreciate you and you can go over on itunes and leave a rating and review it, it really does make a big difference i know i say it a lot and sharing this episode with a friend is the best form of compliment you could possibly give so thank you for that i'll, I'll do a very special episode episode 120 where i'll share a bit more about an update behind the unconventionalist and what i've been up to and and i think some juicy stuff that you'll want to you want to make sure you catch so that'll be coming up shortly the good news is if you missed in a previous episode, I announced that we are now available across all platforms on Spotify, Google Play, and so forth. So you can you can tell your friends now. It's pretty much everywhere. So that's an exciting uh, new milestone for the unconventionalist. So here's a, here's a weird question: Have you ever been shot? <laughs> my my hope is that your answer is no. But today's guest wasn't so lucky, and you're going to hear the incredible story and background of Ash Alexander Cooper, who's an OBE who served the British Army for over 22 years. And he was deployed on operations in in complex and hostile environments, primarily in Central Asia, the Middle East, the Balkans and Northern Ireland. But it's just 
amazing to hear how he went from being, first of all, a, a world touring uh, musician as part of a, of, a, of a global choir. Then he was an elite athlete, part of Team GB, you know, from GB duathlon team and GB junior rowing team and also the army triathlon. Then, you know, joined the army, you know, former specialist military unit commander who, as you'll hear in 2003, well, fell in an ambush in Iraq and had to experience probably some of the most brutal and graphic experiences that we as as men and women have to experience and, and hopefully never have to experience in our lifetimes. And he spent pretty much 82 months deployed in, in complex operations. And he has now transformed all that learning and trying to teach people the importance of building talent, culture, and adaptable leaders. And he goes into companies now and in conferences to talk about how to create you know, high-performing teams and, and, and everything he's learned from building these high-effective military operations around the world and how you can transfer that in the boardroom and in the office space. And, it, and it's more than that, Ash has just got this incredible sense of humor. You know, as you'll hear, we kind of met uh, many years ago at a friend um, in in Spain who was getting married. And we've been seeing, like, we saw a bunch of ourselves, you know, over the years and we might have been Belgium. And it's just been such an honor, actually, to get to know him. He's, he's someone who's so grounded and, you know, smart and, and kind and, and on his feet and... You're gonna hear it's 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 one of those podcasts where you're just gonna be sitting on the edge of your seat as he recounts and shares the experience of what it was like to be in the battlefield, and I think for a lot of us, uh, and I put myself in, in in this, it's such an alien concept to to get shot, and and this is why I love this podcast. I just gotta say this is why I love the podcast because I get to sit down with some incredible humans who share a different world or different realities, different experiences, and yet. I hope that by listening to this, you also feel enriched, that you also feel like you're learning something, that you're growing in some way. And if you are, let me know. I'd, I'd love to find out. You, you can do that by by tagging this episode over on Instagram and, and making sure to tag me at Mark LaRoost and, and letting me know uh, that you appreciate the show and what it is that you appreciate about it. But ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, you know what time it is. It's time for me to introduce you the one and only Ash Alexander Cooper. <laughs> Ash, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. <laughs> so good to have you, man. Yeah, it's it's been ages. When was the last time I saw you? Belgium? Yeah, for a coffee in Belgium yeah. randomly in the freezing cold. One, yeah. Maybe seven, eight years ago? No, oh, 2013. No, yeah, 2013. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dude, I'm excited to have you on the show. I mean, it's always weird when I when I interview people I know, especially when I start looking in their background. <laughs> I was like... Dude's done quite a lot. <laughs> it's got quite a bit. It's all quite got, random. It's nothing. Yeah, right. But still, it's really exciting, man. And um, first of all, like, how are you finding life outside of the military or the army? I, I had a guest on who tried to explain to me the difference between military and army. And it sounds like me, civilians and all, have no idea what the difference is. Would you? So were you in the army or the military? Both. Both? I mean, the army is part of the military, so okay. you know, a bit of both. Okay. Um, it's funny you asked that question first because... I get asked that quite a lot, as if it's some sort of condition. You know, how have you found the transition? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Um, but I recognise, you know, not to make light of it, that that for some people, transitioning from yeah. a career in in one particular, you know, whatever it might be, but yeah. particularly if you're in a structured sort of government grouping, to leave that into the big bad world where there's yeah. so much opportunity can be quite daunting. Sure, put the microphone just a little bit closer to 
there but I was, I was very lucky. There he is. That's the, can you hear his voice, people? <laughs> can you hear the crisp voice? <laughs> but I was very lucky that a lot of my jobs were very international and working yeah. with very interesting people in and outside of uniform and outside of government. So mm. my role when I when I sort of left the military didn't feel like it had actually changed a huge sure. amount. Sure. Still meeting interesting people in interesting places. But it's crazy, though, because you, you ended up spending 22 years and mm. you only had like a three-year plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, have you ha- ever had a plan that you've stuck to? <laughs> Come on. Let's be honest. No, I, I thought in my mind that I would do three years in the military, yeah. you know, enjoy it, and then I'd get a proper job, sure. in parentheses, uh, whatever that is, Yeah. and just found that I enjoyed it and met you know really interesting people that were driven and doing incredible things yeah. and thought, well, this is actually fun until it's no longer fun. Cool. Or if I run out of sure. lives, then I'll continue. Yeah, so, <laughs> we'll talk about go. that a bit later about like running out of lives. But when when was your first memory of you going? I want to be in the military. Like I want to join the military. Well, we had a cadet force at school, which I quite enjoyed. You know, being part was of. Was this before or after you were in the choir? This <laughs> was after I was because you're choir. singing. Thank, thanks for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, at school we had a cadet force, and I quite enjoyed that sort of running around playing soldiers. Yeah, and. Uh, we were for those who don't know, because we've got people listening from all over the world, Cadet Force is basically open for like youth and younger people to come yeah, and experience. Yeah, so it's sort of 16 to 18 yeah. while you're in either in high school or, okay. or um, you know, so you're not being paid by the yeah. military. Yeah. And we're not child soldiers. <laughs> uh, but it's to teach you leadership and skills that yeah. might be of you know use to you in cool. later life. And, and I found that quite enjoyable. Yeah. And we were quite unique that the leaders of that group were actually ex-regular soldiers okay. or officers themselves. So okay. they were effectively, wouldn't say talent spotting, but they were looking for people that might scouting. have... Yeah, kind of scouting to MI5, see if there were people... MI5, it's official, Ash is a spy. <laughs> I knew it all along. He's absolutely <laughs> not. Um, that uh, they would sort of encourage people that they thought might have some of the aptitude mm-hmm. to uh, join the military. So right. I then applied you know, for a university sponsorship cool. and went through. Cool. And one of your parents in the military? Did you have any family ancestry in the military? Um, not my parents, but my grandparents. Um, okay. My grandfather on my mother's side was a Lancaster bomber uh, okay. navigator okay uh, but he joined just after the war yeah. um, and my grandfather on my father's side was a baker yeah in the Isle of Wight and he yeah. desperately wanted to join the military but they wouldn't let him because he was providing a service to <laughs> sort of Portsmouth Southampton <laughs> providing bread yeah um, so he we, joined, can't, we can't get you in the military he joined the bread. home guard <laughs> he, he joined the home guard okay. and uh, and the story goes whether it's apocryphal or not uh, anecdotally, he uh, reported one evening when he was on watch that a yeah. fly- it sounded like a flying motorbike had just flown over his position. Yeah. And they sent him home, thought he was drunk, and it was one of the first uh, V1 rockets. No way. Which has a two-stroke, I believe, a two-stroke engine. Yeah, it yeah. sounds a bit like a flying motorbike. Okay. So that, that, was, that was his contribution. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Yeah. So, yeah, so you, so you end up, so three-year plan, you end up in, in, in this kind of, you know, institution, I guess, or kind of organization, but you're impressed. Like, you kind of realize that actually there's some talented people smart people and, and you can learn quite a bit around that yeah 100 yeah. i mean i've always luckily found that i'm this generally the least clever person in the room and i love that learning and watching others yeah. you know, doing things very well and trying to emulate um that leadership mm-hmm. and so in my first three years i joined a unit called the gurkhas okay so all the soldiers are from nepal nepal okay um so i had to learn nepali and, and other things which, no was, which is good fun yeah <laughs> Um, so peeps, like you're gonna find out <laughs> Ashes up with the most random stories you'll ever yeah, hear. I know, sorry. Sorry. By the way, I'm just gonna say this now, and I don't know if I'm gonna get you into trouble. But one of my <laughs> fondest memories of us when we when we first met was at the wedding uh, of Daniela's wedding, who was by the way like half Norwegian, half Mexican, married a half Israeli, half German, and got married in Spain. Is that too many halves? Yeah, it's a lot of halves. <laughs> yeah. And and we were driving uh, towards like I think it was the next day in the brunch. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, uh, I think it's used to train, right? You used to, you used to train 
tactics. We, no, we just done. I'd recently done some training with um, learning how to drive cars That's safely. It. So if you were in countries where yeah. you might be, you know, with others that you needed to, That's to keep out of dangerous situations. <laughs> so we, we did a few maneuvers. I think let's leave it at that. <laughs> let's just leave it at that. The higher car insurance That's was not it. invalidated. <laughs> so sorry, so you follow the go. You learn Nepalese. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah traveled to Nepal. Yeah. Um, learn the culture, learn the language, learn the people, and was very, very honored to be able to uh, lead, yeah. or at least they gave me the impression that I was leading. Cool. Um, yeah. or, 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 you know, some uh, some Gurkha soldiers in, yeah. in a number of places, including Bosnia. Um, yeah, and that was my first <laughs> and how old, how old are you then? Early 20s. Early 20s. Yeah. And that was, that. did you have any exposure of traveling before that, like extensively, like you'd seen a bit <laughs> of the world before? Yeah, so really from, as, and yeah, you just try to make fun of me, uh, with the choir, but when I, when I joined a cathedral choir, when I was seven or eight, um, we were quite an internationally sort of flavoured You're an award-winning well. musician, I've heard. <laughs> the <laughs> choir won a number of awards, <laughs> not me personally. Uh, but we travelled um, around uh, the world singing wow. with the Vienna Boys Choir in cool. America with various you know, yep. choirs and doing big concerts and you world premieres sing? and stuff. Um, not for you. Come on. No. Come on, Ash. Not, give today. Us a <laughs> not today. <laughs> right, peeps, by the end of today, we're going to get Ash to sing. Negative. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, yeah, so at a young age, were you exposed to travelling... And Only then, through that. Yeah, My yeah. family wasn't a big traveling family, cool. but through the choir, and it just sort of opened my eyes to yeah, the yeah. idea that there was so much out in the world. And that yeah. really, I think, did set me on a path of being fairly international. And my yeah. friend network, you know, you're an example of that. Sure. You know, we met in, where was it, Spain? Yeah, it was Spain. Yeah, randomly. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all been about the connections you make when you travel. So yeah. you know, it's been a real feature of my 100%. life that I enjoy. What were you most surprised when you started off? When you went off and you started traveling, you started, you know, interacting with people, learning a bit more about you know, the military tactics and. What were you most surprised about the people you met and about yourself? Um, I think the, the traveling, the traveling bug really started way before mm -hmm. the military. So, I think the traveling lessons is that you know make an effort to always speak to as many people as you can. Mm. And I, I hate feeling like a tourist. I yeah. hate being in places where I'm doing the touristy things. Yeah. Although you still want to see those things yeah. that are iconic, yeah. generally where you go to various locations. But I'll always try and eat with the locals, speak sure. to locals, and and that's how I've met so many incredible people. Yeah. You know and, and linking i suppose that to the military some of my dearest friends are through <coughs> conflicts you know i've got some really close afghan friends that mm. i you know trust with my life and vice versa because of the shared experiences we've had and yeah and i think you know we are all guilty regardless of you know ethnicity or nationality to presume or judge different cultures or put sure. them into one basket or sure. bucket um, I mean, I love Afghanistan, for example, yeah. and Afghan people. They're very warm, very generous. And same with Pakistan. You know, yeah. I spend a lot of time in, in Central Asia yeah. and absolutely love it. Haven't um, you got like a Medal of Honor or something from... <laughs> from oh, it's not... Yeah, it's not really... It's, <laughs> it's not I'm going to make you squeamish <laughs> for the whole thing. It's not the Look, same. so Ash has no. gone like, let me read all your awards, Ash. No. <laughs> it's, um, it's an Afghan thing. Yeah. just Because I, I spent nearly four years in Afghanistan okay. trying to support them and help them. Yeah. Um, develop various systems to you know prevent attacks and yeah but i mean it's mad i mean i know i know you're a humble guy and for you it's not probably comfortable to talk about this but i was looking back at your background that's why i never normally have notes of guests but i was just looking at your notes i was just going bloody hell man like where do i even start you know um i mean there's one that you spent 82 months deployed on operations in complex and hostile environments you know and i remember the the stories you were sharing nobody wanted me here <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to get no, rid of you <laughs> it's very addictive when you when you if you're in any kind of role where you're helping others and i, I wouldn't limit this absolutely at sure. all to the military but if you're in you know aid work or, you yeah. know, or any of these things where you can see everything you do or most things you do every day yeah. actually making a tangible difference yeah it's very addictive sure um but the trouble is with many of these environments the longer you spend in them the chances of you getting hurt or yeah. 
or whatever yeah. go up. But because um, at one point you became a, a, a helicopter pilot, am I right? Yeah, that was after the Gurkhas. I did okay. three years flying. Yeah, and is there is there a story or is there something about something happened on a helicopter? Did something happen on a helicopter? Things always happen on. <laughs> um, I've been in a few helicopter incidents. Yeah, because um, because yeah. one thing I've heard you say, and um, we're gonna have a code word. Okay, we're gonna have a code word. Is this a safe word? It's a safe word. We're what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> this, is, this is not no, I, I always say this to my friends who I interview. There's and I, I'm always careful about what's public knowledge and what's not public knowledge. And so if there's a question I ask. And you go, actually, that, that can't be public knowledge. We're going to say Mississippi or Alabama. Oh, wait. Okay. <laughs> Which do you want? <laughs> Mississippi. Okay, good. Anyway, so, because um, one of the things I remember you telling me, and I also heard you say this in an interview online, was that in, mo- in times of crisis, when shit hits the fan, that's when actually you shine. That's, actually, that's when you actually come alive. And that's where you feel like you have like an edge almost like, yeah, okay. I mean, I wouldn't say I shine or shone, but. I certainly, those are the, generally the only times in my life where I felt that that was where I could add the most yeah. value to make the most positive difference. Yeah. You know, when things are going quite badly wrong and people then look to you as the leader, because a lot of these things, you know, when a, when a mission or an operation or any kind of activity in business is going well, the yeah. leaders shouldn't need to be involved if they've given clear enough direction mm-hmm. about what they want mm-hmm. the, the guys and girls to achieve. They should be able to just let it happen. And mm-hmm. that's where, you know, you get the most out of your mm. uh, people. But when things do start going wrong, which invariably they do, and particularly mm. in military, you know, the old adage was, um, you know, no contact, su- uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. You know, mm. they have a vote. So the moment you start, you think, right, plan's going well, then it'll not go well. It reminds me of Mac Tyson's quote, like, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly the same. Um, and so when things go very badly wrong, and, you know, I've got many friends who are far better at this than I, but, you know, I certainly felt that when things have been going wrong um, or very serious incidents in, yeah. in Afghanistan, particularly or Iraq, <coughs> where you know, big attacks, suicide bombings, and people are getting shot and you're there to try and minimize mm. further loss of life and protect people. Mm. That's when I kind of feel, you know, time slows down. It sounds a silly thing to say, but it sort of feels like in those situations when it's most chaotic, for mm. me, that's when I have the most clarity. Has that always been the case? Have you always found I'm yourself sh- like, if you look back at your life, can you think of like incidents that happened around you where you were no, already? Not or really. Do you, or do you think you'd think you conditioned yourself over time? No, I think, you know, through the training and the way in which, you know, you're selected and then trained and mm-hmm. conditioned, you know, you build resilience. You, yeah. you, you're you taught to think critically about problems and, yeah. and solve, you know, be a problem solver. Yeah. And I think all those things that I learned in, in the military, you know, I've applied in my commercial life as a consultant, yeah. as a coach and a mentor, et cetera. Mm. Um, all the challenges are generally identical. Yeah. You know, the the enemy is not an enemy necessarily in commercial space, but sure. it is your competitor. Sure. It is the disruptor that's going to try and, you know, take right. c- uh, advantage of uh, a market um, advantage or right. um, share. Um, so all these lessons are, I think, um, transferable. They, they transfer, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and <coughs> do you remember the first time when you went from theory practice to on the field? Like when you were practicing shooting weapons, when you, you know, tactics, and then suddenly you were, in the field, like in the live ammunitions rounds, do you remember that that adrenaline, or were you were you by then already kind of like, okay, we're ready now? Um, I think you can do a lot of training, and as realistic as it is, unless somebody's actually shooting back at you, mm. and you're taking casualties, or you're a casualty, that mm. that's the first time it really becomes very real. Mm. So I did um, how many years? I guess eight or so years. Um, in the military before I sort of had my first really big mm-hmm. sort of gun battle, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, when I was shot and, and the guy standing next to me was, was killed and mm. three others were wounded. That was quite shocking. And I 
because it was such a shock mm. you know i know that i could i you know in hindsight i wish i'd done things differently sure. as the leader you know yeah. i was still trying to command things but i would you know there's a moment where you're in that sort of god this wasn't what i was expecting or sure. this wasn't supposed to happen yeah and that does knock you and you know physically it knocks you over obviously yeah. if you get shot um but do you, remember uh, the, do you remember the sensation of it yeah i do very well it's um have you ever had a, a, a like a puncture wound, even if you stepped on a drawing pin attack or something where you've got that sort of dull that, ache? Yeah, maybe. Like, I mean, I've stepped on something sharp, but I don't Would you like me to stick something? No, <laughs> we can practice now. Mississippi? Don't miss it. Yes, I'm out. Um, uh, it, well, yeah, there, there's two sensations. So yeah. the, the bullets that actually, um, I, mean, I, I have to caveat that I was extremely lucky that both bullets that hit me were ricochets. So they'd lost a lot of velocity. So I didn't okay. have any exit wounds. And that's okay. where most of the damage is done when bullets tumble inside a body and exit. Okay. Mine sort of went in and, and got stuck. Um, but it was that dull ache, sort of nauseating feeling of just, ugh, it sort of knocks the wind out of you and feels, a, you know, just a dull ache. But I also um, took some shrapnel for some rocket propelled grenades and that stings. Because um, it's hot and you know it's like a stinging sensation. And but what what happens is that so just because I think for for the average person listening to this, I doubt they'll have experience being shot at. Or and we can practice now. <laughs> no, I'm good, I mean, man. It's like I, I don't know what you've got in your bag. No. You came with a big bag, but like does it go? Yeah, does it go like? For, so I'm guessing what do you first feel like a sting, and then you look down, and you realize you've been shot. I mean, how do you realize that you've just been shot? And it wasn't just like an impact wound or. Well, I, personally, I was just knocked over. Okay. There were two bullets hitting you, knocked me backwards through the force of the, um, the the impact, I suppose. And we were being engaged by, I, I don't know, more than 10 people anyway, at quite close range. And it was, I, I liken it to a swarm of bees. Mm. It looked like these sort of lights of stinging things mm. sort of coming towards yeah. you. Um, but this is, this is in Iraq, right? It is in Iraq, yeah. But because 2003, that Halloween. Was Halloween. Yeah. yeah, was it Halloween? Yeah. Trick or treat. Oh my God. Um, and... But we were still being shot at, so we had to sort of extract. But because one bullet was in my left knee, or just above my left knee, every time I tried to move to get out of the, the firing, range. the firing, the killing yeah. zone, as it's known, yeah. uh, I kept on falling flat on my face, which was really annoying. Um, <laughs> so it took a lot longer to um, get out, and it sort of slowed other people down. So it put other people at risk because they were having to kind of pick me up and move me along, which is a bit. What's going on through your head? Like, what's going through your head? Because, because, because. The reason why I want to kind of spend a bit of time on unpacking this moment, because I think it's one of the <coughs> things I heard you say, which I think was very um, humbling, was when you said, you know, when I look back at my time in the military, what, what I remember most are my failures, because that's where as leaders we learn the most. And this story comes up, right? And yeah. I mean, it, it was quite a key moment, I suppose, in that, you know, moving from mm. theory to practice. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't know, actually, at the time that the, the chap standing just to my right, literally less than a meter from me, had been mm. shot in, in the head and sadly died instantly. Mm. Um, and the moment we extracted from the, the main firing, I was thinking, oh, my God, I should, you know, I should have, where are all my people? I didn't know where everybody was mm. because there was so much happening. One guy had fallen into the compound and he was just making a little, you know, space to kind of be protected and, you know, defend himself. Mm -hmm. Three of us went one way, which was the behind a wall, and another chap, like I said, had, had um, sadly mm. died. And as a leader, you you know, you'd never leave people behind, mm. and, and I didn't know at that stage where everybody was. So I was thinking, oh my mm. god, this is just this is a nightmare. Because this was unexpected. Yeah, completely. Yeah, we just completed another mission, and we're moving down a street just to clear other houses to see if there were any other um, bombs or information that we might find. Mm -hmm. And this house looked like it was an empty house, no lights on gate was locked we opened the gate and then just got engulfed in so it's a bit of a shock but um yeah. you know you move on yeah. um and and you learn from it hopefully yeah yeah and so you so you kept you so you come back 
I don't know if it's a military base. I don't know what the technical term is. You come back to base and you look back and what just happened. What's going on through your head? Like, are you, are you kind of assessing the different things? Are you still kind of going, I'm, I'm shot now. I need to tend to my wounds. You know, is it like what? Because I'm just, I'm guessing one of the things is there's the physicality of it. But then I think that's often less spoken about is the mental aspect of it. You know, what's going yeah. through your head and what you're thinking about? Are you revisiting the scenario? Are you then being haunted by those memories for like a period of time yeah i mean i'm i'm very very lucky and i, I recognize how fortunate i am that i haven't suffered from that or the few, few other incidents that have happened yeah. you know seeing people blown up in front of me and a yeah. suicide bomber exploded months on my birthday uh, in front of me and you know i've seen a lot of sort of damaged bodies yeah. and, and incidents happen and i'm extremely fortunate that so far touch wood yeah. i haven't been affected in a way that is debilitating sure um but i'm very very aware the signs and the those that are not so fortunate sure. and i think that's why i'm throwing myself in very heavily into some of the charity work i'm yeah. doing at the moment to try and mm -hmm. help raise awareness of mental health issues yeah that not all disability from service or from other things in life or are physical physical and visible yeah and it's the mental um trauma that some people suffer from yeah. their service or their experiences you know doctors and nurses equally yeah. are at risk from post-traumatic stress yeah and so i'm working with a charity called combat stress this year that's mm -hmm. in its hundredth year set up just after the first world war mm -hmm. as a result of you know shell shock issues yeah. and trying to understand what was going on yeah, yeah. in people's heads um and another charity last year called remembered when we had a, a campaign called there but not there mm. where we were also trying to help raise a lot of money for a number of charities including combat stress yeah. walking with the wounded help yeah. for heroes yeah to just make it more publicly understood that it's okay to not be okay yeah firstly please seek help true um if you think you're suffering and to make other people aware that even if the individual who's suffering doesn't actively ask for help mm. that others are aware that he might be or she sure. might be struggling yeah, i yeah. mean this afternoon i'm after this going to a memorial service for a, a colleague and friend sadly who took his life two weeks ago who served I'm sorry, years ago um, and this is happening you know every day sadly across the country across yeah. the world um, yeah. but i said it's not just limited to military people it's um, those who see trauma and, and it's not even people that are necessarily on the front line and this is another wouldn't say an issue but it's something that I'm, I'm keen that people understand that you don't have to have been physically in combat yourself to yeah. suffer from this and i heard yeah. a story i was living in australia one year and there was a chap who who um sort of publicly came out as suffering you know severely from ptsd and yeah. he'd just been an admin clerk in dubai mm. um, for a country that was processing bodies who you know people coffins who you know, people who died back through dubai and then on to their home home countries and he was just seeing coffins and processing names yeah. and paperwork he never yeah. saw the contact yeah. the combat or the body that itself yeah but for him that was enough to right. to sort of you know cause yeah. him cause him trouble yeah there's um there's a friend of mine and you won't want me sharing the story because he talked about it in a, in a tedx talk that he gave that he didn't realize at the time but he suffered from ptsd after having seen his brother try to take his life twice right and so that's an example of like he wasn't on the battlefront. He, yeah. he didn't have a physical injury to himself, but having witnessed something, you know, and also people who've been abused, that yeah. can also be a sign of PTSD. You know, that, that there's, and I think we've had a couple of guests on, George and James from Sanctus, both individually came. We talked a lot about mental health and this is podcast and we talk a lot about that. Right. And one thing I find that's quite similar to you and a previous guest I had that was in the military called Adam Conlon. We had one of the most popular podcasts, so you know, let's see how, how well this one does. <laughs> but it's but he he and you Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> but you and but you and him both have this amazing ability to keep a sense of humor amidst some of the hardest times that I've come across. Like the two two of you, when you tell me your stories, I always go and there's 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 and I don't want it, it's not about making it light. It's not about saying it did not matter and this is not important, yeah. but it's about have you found that 
being able to keep a sense of humor or being able to find ways of 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 finding ways to cope through those difficult times helpful like uh, as a leader have you felt that that's been kind of a yeah when you when you're part of a team and you know each other well you know piss taking and, and banter is just part and parcel of that and yeah. if, if people didn't make fun of the most unpleasant situations it would probably it, you know you would you could get all consumed by yeah the specific situation i do remember you know from my my guys uh, to give an example of how nasty uh or amusing they were <laughs> a chap uh who, who was in my team he got who was part of an, an incident got blown up in Afghanistan and he was luckily he survived and he was brought into the emergency facility for treatment in the hospital in, in Afghanistan and some of my guys were practicing their um, sort of combat medical training yeah. sort of trauma training and stuff mm -hmm. so that they'd be better able to treat any of us if we were hurt okay and so they just happened to be on the team that was supporting the main trauma team that was looking after this guy and they didn't recognize him because he came in absolutely covered in dirt and dust and, and mess because he you know just been in an in a explosive incident and then they suddenly recognized who he was when they started cleaning him up and they cut all his clothes, well, the, the doctors and nurses cut all his clothes off. And then one of the guys uh, shouted at him really loudly, are you cold? <laughs> and he's like, what? Because he can't hear because he's deaf from, yeah. you know, he's the, the, sh the, the noise ringing his ears from the explosion. And he repeats, are you cold? And all the nurses are looking like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, no, why? Because your penis is really <laughs> small, <laughs> and, and the and the NHS and the military doctors are like, "What the hell? Like, who are these people? Are oh, they his friends?" Like, "Oh right, great." Um, but that you know that was just sort of a classic example. Yeah. Of, you know, you you have to kind of make yeah. light of some things. Um, yeah. You know, clearly, you all grieve for those you've lost, but people sure. are so mission focused and outcomes focused that you have to just get back on the bike and you know and i've sadly lost and as many of my colleagues have many friends yeah. over the years and yeah. you just have to almost keep going to make sure that their loss was not in vain, it wasn't right. futile. So you, what you speak to is so important, you talk about this concept of mission. So was it clear for you when you were there like what the mission was? Like was were you all able to align behind like, okay, we're here for a reason. There's a purpose to what we do. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. this is, you know, again, as I said earlier, one of these things that translates 100% yeah. from the government space or the military space through to business. You know, you need, I believe per, you know, firmly that in any business you need a common purpose. You sure. need a goal around which everybody can sort of coalesce and 100%. see where they're going. Then give the people the freedom to find ways to get there. But if you have that, you know, some people call it a North Star. Yeah. Know, in my old company, we yeah. called it a uh, common purpose. Yeah. Um, if you can have that, inculcate that in your people that you have a clear shared yeah. vision, yeah. that's when things can really start to work where your values, ideally your values, personal values align with that of the business. Yeah. That's where really exciting things happen with yeah. your employees giving them the feeling of value you know that they are valued and they're everybody's uh, view counts yeah and then you know linked clearly with that is trust you've got to trust your people and they've got to trust you to mm. do the right thing by them and you know them to be empowered by you to do the right thing for the business and right. for each other um and then give them that shared shared understanding the context if you want people to do the right thing they need to understand a where they're going mm -hmm. Why it, um, why it matters absolutely mm. and that you trust them to get there and then you can empower them to go and do mm. it um and yeah and, and, and almost exciting. at a third one which is how their role directly impacts that direction. yeah and this is where you know yeah. I, I coach and mentor business leaders from you know very large and, and small companies uh to say that encourage your teams that you may have a high level strategy but if it's going to be relevant and achievable mm. you have to ensure that your people at every level understand what they can do day to day yeah to move the needle further forward into achieving the overall yeah. team goal. And you know, it's, it's been really interesting because so uh, since last year, I brought on a, a team member and we've been growing slowly like this, a small kind of core team at the Unconventionalist and, mm -hmm. and I do a monthly 
review and a re- it's more like a, a reflection kind of because I always used to think it was crazy how in my old jobs for 10 years I'd have a year appraisal or a year kind of review or sometimes every six months you know you'd sit down and it's because it took you a year to grow your moustache that's it <laughs> you're just a slow moustache grower 100% they're like Mark your ginger African sunset moustache is a little bit yeah, too, you'd have died too small it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or add it have a transplant right <laughs> but so so we have like i, I kind of install the system of like every month we sit down you know i ask them like what are the three things you're proud of what are the three things you've learned what are the three things you know all this stuff and it was really interesting yesterday i had one with with king of the ops riley and uh and he basically said there was this there's this uh by the time this will come out i don't know if but anyway there's this module that we're launching right which is like how to turn your mess into your message which is effectively an online video course to help people share their story and find the message in the stories and so i was like very almost practical particle focused okay we need to get the email sequence we need to get the website ready and then you know go and run with that and yesterday during the appraisal what he made me realize was that actually i didn't understand how that fitted in the bigger purpose of what we're trying to achieve here. yeah and i was like i failed as a leader to go this before we get into the particles and the what let me tell you why this matters let me tell you why this is going to change people's lives if they manage to go through it and do the you know and again going back to that vision yeah i mean simon sinek yeah. Very, you know online you see a lot of yeah. his work and it's all about the why and i buy into this 100 yeah. if people understand why they're doing it yeah they will go above and beyond to it to help yeah. you achieve it if they don't understand what's the point why are they doing this yeah people will do what they're told to do not what they could do yeah um so yeah why is, is 100 yeah. critical did, did, did you find yourself without going into specific details but did you find yourself at points leading teams where there were members of that team where you were like clearly going i'm not sure you're aligned here i'm not sure you're here for the right reason i'm not sure you get it or was it, would you say it was like a constant kind of everybody aligned all the time? No, no, it's not. And you have to, as a leader, recognize that, you know, even if you have a selection process, for example, or you have your interview process mm. and you, you only select people for your business or mm. your, your team that have met the standard, mm. there are going to be people who just meet the standard and those who, you know, crush it. Yeah. Um, and there's always going to be a, a you know, differences of um, capability and um know just general the way they do yeah. business in any team and i know that it's one of my failings as a leader i'm less i'm not as tolerant as i should be or mm. um you know patient as i should be with mm. those who sometimes haven't got on board quickly enough if we because if you so have an expectation of them you're like this well, is where th- that and if, if there's you know particularly you know afghanistan i commanded a number or led a number of um, international teams and would be just be, be sent individuals by countries over which over whom i had no control of their selection they were just sent to me as right this sure. is going to be your your person for doing x or y um and that can be quite challenging sure. when, when you th- when they're there in some con- some cases people get paid quite handsomely and tax-free for yeah. being overseas we never did so it was never about the money for right. us and it was a frustrating occasionally where you had people who were doing the bare minimum just to kind of keep safe for yeah. their 12 months get yeah. their big bonus check and go home yeah um and and i know i need to do better continue to do better sure at bringing more people with me yeah. in any leadership role to make sure that the whole team comes rather than going i'll give you a chance sure. you'll do it out out yeah it's it's interesting i saw a talk um uh, by a japanese entrepreneur and she basically explained that 50 percent of the longest lasting business in the world are all japanese and so she explained it's because in, in japan they have a family business culture whereby people who work in the company eventually can be adopted as their actual kids right because <laughs> it's crazy and so and she said it's because your kids if your kids come back with a bad report you wouldn't fire them right you'd, you'd probably try and understand what's happened you know you try and and so they try and approach the business the same way that before going it's your fault and i think jocko willings you know who he is he's okay 
Um, he's the author of uh, Extreme Ownership, I think it's called Extreme Ownership, and The Dichotomy of Leadership. Anyway, he talks about how every problem you have in an organization is a leadership problem. If you understand that, then you take responsibility for everything, and then it becomes your responsibility to fix it and to kind of come up with ways, etc. So anyway, the point being is going, instead of going, I'm going to fire you, let me, let me take the time to understand what's happening, yeah. do what I need to do, and then if it just doesn't work, then we just part ways. I think author yeah. authority, accountability, and responsibility mm. are three things that leaders need to think very carefully about. You know, yeah. What are they ultimately responsible for? Yeah. Who is going to be held account accountable yeah. for actions, et cetera, and, and who has the authority to make decisions? Yeah. And one of the things I, I've enjoyed doing over the last few years and when I'm working coaching leaders is a decision-making exercise where you say, you know, Mark, so what decisions mm. as a leader have you made, the last five decisions, write down the last mm. five decisions you made or 10 decisions. Yeah. And then physically get them to write them down. And mm -hmm. then say, right, of those decisions, why did you make them? Is it because there's a legal requirement, a regulatory requirement? Yeah. You just, you were told by your predecessor, these are the decisions you make? Yeah. Uh, or is it just easier because you know you have the information to make them quickly and therefore it's just easier? Mm -hmm. What could you actually have delegated, w even one level down to some other people in your team? Mm. And then what, what do you think that would have made them feel like if they saw the boss give them a decision that previously had been held at a mm. higher level? You know, you feel valued, you feel trusted. Yeah. And you may take a bit of support and coaching of that junior to kind of yeah. have the right information to make the right decision, but you mm -hmm. can shadow them for a while. And then if you do that, you know, to one level down to your subordinates, and then they start doing that mm -hmm. very quickly across the entire organization, you have a much you know deeper level of mm. engagement by people who are trying mm. to think about how they can yeah. help the business progress. And yeah. then interestingly, the sort of second phase of that is to get your subordinates and your superiors, if you're in the middle, to say what decisions they think you make yeah. and of those decisions what decisions do they think they could do yeah. on your behalf given the right support yeah, yeah. and stuff and it's fascinating when people yeah. actually are forced to think and I went to one company and the leader said oh, I don't make any decisions it's like, and everyone looked at him and said <laughs> you're joking right he's like no no I mean you, you all come to me and ask me what I think but you know you're ultimately making the decision. Yeah, yeah. like, no, that, that is you saying what decision you want to be yeah. uh, made and then they go and act on 100%. it and he just wasn't aware that actually that 30 second call uh, conversation by the coffee machine that yeah. was the decision making process but he just wasn't aware of it yeah because it's uh, um reinventing organizations i don't know if you read that book yeah and it's really interesting to look at especially because you come from the military background where you look at that kind of organizations red and then you go into the blues and teals and that kind of stuff and i really want to dive a bit more into the organizational work because i think there's lots of really kind yeah. of interesting co topics that we have uh, before we do that i, I just want to go back to what you said because when i was looking through your research you got involved with a lot of cross country relationship a lot of people with different stakes different kind of yeah. egos or whatever you want to call it different interest yeah like personalities interests Interest, agendas yeah, yeah. Yeah. and you were like key in a lot of these kind of cross-country relationships what did you learn the importance of empathy hmm. you know I, I know i get this wrong often still today and i will probably do in the future but the importance of cultural empathy particularly hmm. that taking time to listen and understand the perspective of those individuals with whom you have to work whether you like them or not it's irrelevant if you are in a position where you have to engage with these people whether they're ministers in a foreign government mm -hmm. or you know leaders of businesses where you you they might have questionable personal morals mm -hmm. or, or values if you have to engage with them it's taking time to understand and find ways to make it work and i certainly found in afghanistan over the, over those years that i was there that taking time to understand everybody from you know as i when i used to visit the, one of the ministries every day pretty much the guy who was watering the plants who who had no teeth and 
could, couldn't read or write, mm. but a lovely chap. Mm. Um, and we'd smile and chat and sort of have a, you know, ask how his family were, et cetera, all the way through all the guards going up to the yeah. minister or the deputy minister who yeah. I was meeting. And the point being that if, because I used to go on my own, generally mm. with one interpreter linguist who mm -hmm. was unarmed. And so if there was an attack on that building, I needed to rely on them for my protection and, and vice versa. And there was this mutual, hmm. mutual respect. And one of the just funny sort of vignettes, I suppose, of demonstrating very visibly that you trust people and how that how far that goes. I was at a meeting in uh, northern Afghanistan for an election uh, thing once and there were international troops from Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and they were providing the perimeter security for this building for this conference that was an Afghan conference but they had a few um, senior generals attending and you weren't allowed to take your rifle in the building for the conference for security reasons and the minister's bodyguard team that were all Afghan um, were outside the building uh, there with their rifles and I wanted needed to go into the meeting so when they said you're going to have to give your weapon to somebody and I gave it to the Afghan to look after not the you know, the international mm -hmm. Western coalition mm -hmm. who you'd assume would be yeah. the natural people. And, yeah. you know, that just changed everything in terms of them seeing how much I trusted them right. to do the right thing. And uh, you what, know, this what does trust mean to you? It's absolutely critical to everything, you know, and I know that some people find, you know, trusting hard and, you know, to trust if you can trust, you know, if you can trust people, you have to actually trust them first. <laughs> um, and we did a lot of work. I've done a lot of work with companies where, we talk about how to build trust and how to repair trust mm. if it's broken. Mm. And the si it's a cycle, you know, and it, you have to think carefully about what it was that has caused you to either be an untrusting person yeah. or to lose trust in someone mm -hmm. and then work hard to think about how you can both repair that, but it's doable. Is, is, is trust always repairable? Uh, do you think? I think a lot of it is, but, you know, in some cases, clearly extreme cases, mm -hmm. not. Um, or there's it's going to be too hard or it's it's not worth the effort okay. to do it if it's if it's not directly yeah. impacting your personal or your business life so you so you leave this career after 22 years and learning and, and going across international because you spent some time in america north america if i'm not mm -hmm. mistaken yeah you know you've lots spent middle east mm -hmm. uh, southeast asia and you go and join a consultancy group and what was your first impression of trying to apply what you learned and what you'd seen and experienced over the last 22 years suddenly into the is it commercial sector private sector mm -hmm. or other commercial, yeah, com commercial com private. yeah co commercial sector and businesses what was the what was the surprising thing that came up for you the surprising thing is probably not what you'd expect is that so much of it was identical yeah the challenges were identical for leaders the the nomenclature was different yeah you know of who the different inter you know parties or stakeholders are or were but the challenges are near identical you know we all suffered in the government space, I'll say suffered, we all experienced yeah. the change in environment from what had hitherto in the sort of Cold War era or the sort of 70s, 80s, mm -hmm. you know, fairly predictable, conventional mm -hmm. kind of environment that was complicated. We found with the information age in, you know, fighting terrorism in the Middle East that suddenly things were much more complex mm. and by their very nature, therefore unpredictable. Mm. And we had to change entirely our mindset and leadership behaviors mm. to adapt in the face of complexity and mm. rather than seeing complex complexity as mm. a threat or a risk trying to find opportunity in that complexity mm -hmm. and, and that's the same with business you yeah. know there were the number of network disruptors that there are now you know back in the day airbnb versus hotels or yeah. uber versus taxis that are now obviously being disrupted by the next thing mm -hmm. and the next thing there will always be that networks disrupting sort of angle i think to business and to life in general things are not going to slow down Sure. And so I think for me, the, the biggest lesson or, or um, thing that I took away was how similar. Yeah. You were surprised. Are. Were you surprised by that? Like, 
Um, I'm not sure if I was surprised or or not really. It just it was just an observation. Yeah. I guess maybe surprised how similar some of the yeah. Right. I guess I was surprised actually that in business how when I talked to more and more leaders, yeah. the challenges they said they were facing yeah. as leaders. Yeah. Like okay, and we've, we we yeah. we come from different backgrounds, but the sure. we can we can work this through. Right. Yeah, I love it, and and I, lo- and I love how you can actually bring the similar challenges that you have around leadership, common purpose, mission, and a lot of things you talk about as well as culture and adaptive teams. Yeah. Um, what makes up an adaptive team? Uh, sort of a high performing or an adaptable team is one that you know has all those components, the capabilities of having the trust, yep. the common vision of what it is the team's trying to achieve, mm-hmm. and particularly if it then has to fit into a an environment with with other teams. Yeah. You know, we referred to it at the time that the consultancy I was with and the methodology we learned in combat was team of teams. You know, you are a team and you can be successful, mm-hmm. but it's largely irrelevant if you either had information that could help the team to your left or your right right don't 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 like yeah yeah don't hoard information information, and and that is you know we see that everywhere in business you know teams are very successful individually within a larger enterprise but they could actually share some of that knowledge or the information across their teams and the culture and um do you think there's some companies have a a culture of making teams compete against themselves yeah and then you have the, the you know the meritocracy system of we reward those who do very well yeah. and therefore if you want to get the reward if you want to get the award if you want to get the bonus then you have to do very well and it'll be detriment if you help others i mean do you think there's a bit of that i know we see that a lot yeah and different sectors have different you know um degrees of that yeah um but i think it's yeah it, it, it can be an issue and we, we you know i've talked to companies about how they think about rewarding you know um good behavior or positive mm-hmm. outcomes and and i think you know we were certainly it was drilled into us that it, if we were successful on a mission it was irrelevant not irrelevant but it was largely irrelevant if we had information or assets or resources yeah. that we could have helped others be successful as mm. well so it's all about the team thinking about others before yourself and mm. that i mean that goes back to leadership principles you yeah. know in, in you know at the military academy in sandhurst where all british officers have to have to learn for a year you know the, the motto is serve to lead you know mm. you're always you're serving others first and foremost you're a mm. servant leader and i think the leaders in business that i see doing best are those that when i speak to them and their employees are are the ones who take time to understand yeah. their people and, and they feel that they, yeah. they care. Yeah. And they've got the empathy to connect with their people. 100%. And there's something that I've found, and I don't know if you've found this when you work in an organization that you do, but a lot of the time, the organization, especially in leadership, will say, here are our values. Here's who we are. Yeah. Like, we are authentic. We're transparent. You yeah. know, we're community-based. with all this stuff. And then you dive a little bit deeper and you talk to people in the organization and they'll be like, we're none of that. Yeah. We don't live that in any kind of way. Like what's what's been your experience with that? I guess, and and then how do you? What's the kind of tips you have for people listening to this to go? Here's a blind spot that you might not be aware of, and here's what you need to know about it. Yeah, if your if your values or your mission statement or your vision is just a mouse mat or a poster, <laughs> it's it's really it's kind of missing the point. It's a start. It's yeah. good that you've thought about things. Yeah, but they have to be real. They have to be living things. Your mm. people have to go to work every day knowing that when they take action or do something in the business, that it is in line with those mm. things. Um, and they've got to feel that it's a, it's a real thing actually that they can contribute to as well. Mm. So I, you know, when we talk about people thinking of developing strategies, mm-hmm. think, think about asking those at the bottom, you know, in all the levels, but particularly ask the people at the bottom when you're crafting your strategy for their input. Because if you come up with a nice high level strategy, uh, which looks nice on a mouse mat mm. or, a, or a poster, <laughs> or but, a it's, mug. but it's complete or a mug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but if it's completely undeliverable by those who you're expecting to yeah. deliver it then yeah. they'll just be thinking you know what's the point or how, yeah. how you know no one's actually bothered to ask me yeah. if they'd asked me i've been here 25 years i could yeah. tell them what's worked in the past or or whatever so uh, no, in, engage broadly when you're yeah. thinking about these things because you know everyone loves to be asked their 
opinion and advice. But you used to do that in the, in the military? Because that sounds almost counterintuitive. I would imagine the military is more like, here's our strategy and we're going to go and do this. And yeah, I mean, the high level strategy generally is set. Yeah. But in certainly in a lot of the teams I've been in, um, you know, we made a point of asking everybody, you know, you'd give your uh, view as the leader what you thought would be the best way to yeah. achieve it. And then you say, right, anybody got any other ideas? And that was a little bit shocking. Some, you know, from having come from a, um, some of my teams that were very hierarchical. Uh, conventional and hierarchical, yeah. mm. To then saying right, any 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 ideas from others, yeah. thinking that there'd just be a bit of silence and you'd move on. And they yeah. go, yeah, that's a that's a shit plan, boss. <laughs> right. okay. Thanks for that. Uh, why why is it not a great plan? And as long as people have a sensible yeah. or constructive reason sure. why, then you know, as a leader, again, I think you know one of the the things you need to have humility. as a leader is to be able to have the humility, mm. absolutely, yeah. and to be able to quickly pick out those things that are valuable. Yeah and discard those that may be yeah. interesting and sure. relevant but not actually going to change things fundamentally yeah. no, 100% and th and there's this i have no idea where this question came from it just it just popped in my head um, what's a, a a film that you would say depicts a real picture of what it's like to be on the battlefield or in the army or in the military is there a film that cuz i'm sure there must be films you must be looking at and going oh that would never happen or that is so not going to happen is there a film that comes to mind yeah um, yeah i suppose um uh, Saving Private Ryan, that first scene mm. of going onto the beaches where there's just yeah. the chaos of, you know, people are falling around you. You know, that can be very much people's experience in, in a gun mm -hmm. battle. That's not ideally and hopefully most of your yeah. experience when you're in, in uniform. But but that sort of, I think, was quite an accurate depiction of certainly how I felt when things were, you know, when the yeah. bullets are just flying yeah, from yeah. everywhere and you're just thinking, God, how can I actually get out of this and yeah. do, you know, do the right thing? Um I think that's, that, in terms of combat, that's probably yeah. one of the ones. Cool. Yeah. I want to go back to culture really quickly. So culture, so you go in an organization and people say, we want to have a high-performing culture. We want to, you know, we want to be results-driven. And I don't know if you saw it, but the Google did a study around Aristotle. They call it Aristotle Project. And they're basically the five most effective uh, attributes of a team. And the number one was psychological safety, mm. right? That basically that you have uh, the trust that when you raise your hand and you raise an issue, yeah then people will not judge you, not reprimand you, not make fun of you. Yeah. Um, and I guess it goes back a bit to trust, right? What we're yeah, it's, a bit it's part and parcel of trust. Yeah. I mean, again, we've talked. I talked to a lot of businesses about psychological yeah. safety, and initially, people think this is a fluffy thing that, you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah, we, you know, we don't really want to, that sounds a bit, you know, new age and, yeah. and whatever. But it, it is, you know, when you think about what it means to be able to make mistakes and be supported through them. Clearly, if you yeah. continue to make silly mistakes over and over, that's, sure. that's not acceptable. Sure. But if you are trying to push the envelope innovatively within mm. a sector, within a company, in a business, and you're encouraging your people to think yeah. how they can make things better, then you have to accept that things will get broken a little bit on the way. Mm -hmm. And I think those those disruptors that are trying to think always yeah. about a better way or a new idea will make mistakes. Um, yeah. And you know, we didn't have the luxury when we were fighting in Iraq in those early days of thinking very deliberately about a long-term plan about how we could change the way we did our business. Yeah. And so we had to, um, you know, it's, it's an overused phrase, but we had to you know, build the aircraft in flight mm. because the enemy was there every day and we were going out to try and defeat the enemy every day. Mm. And so we had to accept that if we wanted to learn quickly, we mm. would make mistakes on the way, but we had to fail fast was the phrase. Sure. So, you know, accept that you've taken off and then someone's gone, oh crap, there's no wings. Anyone know how to make wings? <laughs> and then you just, you know, you work through it. Yeah. But we, um, you know, when we went to Iraq, we went very, very much with a conventional or a rather a traditional sort of hierarchical mindset. You know, we were a big coalition looking for an enemy that had been predominantly, mm. you know, uh, a, a hierarchy as well, only to find that, you know, the terrorist organizations that we found ourselves um, engaging with mm. 
were, f- were anything but that. Yeah. And we knew, we, we, you know, we found out who some of the key players were and we would go, right, well, we'll go and try and arrest or take that mm-hmm. guy off the battlefield. And then in our minds, we'd drawn a hierarchy saying, well, if he's subordinate to this guy, mm. then by definition, there must be that he must be there and have this sort of team. And we were drawing wire diagrams or org charts in our head, mm. looking for the next person in the chain, only to find that every time we went out to get the next person, the entire structure seemingly had changed. Or they'd say, oh, yeah, you got the right house, but he <laughs> left two days ago. So you know, wrongly, we thought, oh, damn it, we're just too slow. Mm. If we just sped up by two days, we mm. would get him. I'm not, I'm not understanding that because this information age, everyone having the mobile phones. Um, they could say, hey, we saw a troop coming over. Every time we did yeah. one mission, they'd all call each other and say, hey, they just took out Mark. Yeah. Uh, he's gone to jail. Yeah. Leave or go to ground or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So the faster we interacted with that network, yeah. which we didn't realize was a network, they changed faster. So we were yeah. actually making it harder for ourselves. So changing the way we did our business, we aligned every 24 hours with a big video call um, and we were able, without really any increase in numbers of people or equipment, go from one raid a, a week to 10 raids a night. Mm. And that started to you know, actually make a difference. And, and like, how do you feel about the world today, like, especially after having spent so much time in you know, counterterrorism and trying to, you know, all that kind of stuff, and what we see you know, on the media that's been portrayed and like this kind of whole uh, image around the world and and how it's threatening and dangerous and terrorist. Like, do you, do you still keep, keep an optimism about life and yeah, the world? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, as I sort of alluded to earlier, that I think we are all guilty. I don't say all. <laughs> I'm lumping <laughs> everyone into a bucket there myself. A lot of people are guilty and a lot of nations are guilty or cu- you know communities of just a blanket statement yeah. or a, a, an assumption about a particular yeah. group of people. Yeah. You know, a nation is they're all, you know, um, extremists or whatever which is just so unfair and wrong mm. um, and I think therefore we can all do with a much bigger dose of empathy and mm. tolerance um, and recognize that while there are absolutely very very serious threats about which we should be concerned yeah. we should not lump everybody into those baskets because we risk turning more people mm. against the communities actually that they would love to be part of mm-hmm. fully Yeah. Um, so you know as I said I've got some of my closest friends are from countries that you know, traditionally have um, been, uh, you know, conflict zones or have um, individuals who have, have, you know, done uh, various terrorist terrorist acts. Um, So I think, you know, empathy Mm. is key and, you know, just understanding. We need all, you know, even, don't want to get onto Brexit at all, but we all need a bit more understanding and and, uh, empathy about other views. Yeah, 100%. And you can totally get about Brexit. This is this is no, no, about everything. I don't want to go there. We've only got, I don't know yeah, how long. Cool. Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> this should be like a new theme with guests. So uh, talk about friends. When I Google your name, um, Bear Grylls comes up, like on one of the photos. <laughs> like, is did you guys train together or did you go in the army together? Or is No, we've like known each other a long time. Okay. Um, yeah. And so our families know each other and cool all right leave it at mississippi <laughs> <laughs> but so he does he does a lot of great work for you yeah. know, support you know supporting charities and you know with the scouts i think that's a very positive thing that he yeah. does with them you know giving kids all over the world uh, yeah. a, a way to learn skills that might be useful in life and teaching them kindness and yeah. never giving up and stuff and that yeah. it does feed very much into some of the work i do with my charities cool so are we going to expect you one day to be on this survival show and go into like alaska and have to wrestle the bear with your bare hands. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? That. So listen, Ash, we're coming to the, towards the end of the interview. I've got a few last questions. One of them is, if you could whisper a message to the ears of leaders around the world listening to this podcast, people starting at their business, whether they're a, a one woman or one man band, or they're leading an organization with, with hundreds of people, what would you want to tell them? What would you want them to know about their responsibility as leaders and, and, and taking care of their people? 
I think given that the world is such a complex place and every sector that I have worked in is equally complex, um, is to understand and, and accept that it's okay to not know all the answers mm. as a leader. You're not expected to have every answer to everything. You are expected to listen though. So act active listening and empathy with your teams and maintaining that connection. Mm -hmm. You know, you as a leader should hire the smartest people to do the things that you need them to do. Mm -hmm. You're not expected and they would not expect you to try and control everything. So be comfortable as a leader to, you know, have the understanding of where your, your people's strengths are. Know that you absolutely do value them. Mm -hmm. um, because that feeling of value, I think, is is fundamental to everything. If you feel that people don't care, mm. you will, and um, you may have been in businesses like this, where you sort of start to disengage quite quickly sure. with, with the company. Yeah. But if you believe that, you know, in our case, if you get wounded, that they're going to look after you and your family, that allows you to go out day after day and, you know, go beyond mm. the extra mile, you know, mm. to, to do the right thing for the company. Yeah. Appreciate that. Brother, before I ask you my, my final two questions, I want to acknowledge you. Um, first of all, it's so good to see you again. I mean, it's been ages. Every time I see you, it's always like a big smile. But I think you've got such a great energy about you and also like the mission that you're trying to do now and, and going and doing some consulting, some coaching, some speaking as well, because you also do speaking with you and talk about that. But to try and basically share what you've learned over the last 22 years of, of trying to help nations and people coming together and, and, and kind of fighting um, enemies and, you know, whatever that metaphor is. And that you're now spending your time and dedicating that with business leaders and teams and helping people build trust and community and high-performing cultures. I think it's really, really cool. And I'm very excited <laughs> to see like where, where you're going to go with it. And, and Thank you. hopefully we'll have some, some work together. Um, what's one thing that most people don't know about you? Hmm. Well, you've already outed me with the, uh, the choir boy stuff. <laughs> um, I'm an artist. Yeah. I do painting and drawing. Not, not many people know that. Really? Um, I'm a terrible soccer player. <laughs> well, you were Harlequin FC senior. No, that was team. rugby. That was rugby. Oh, is it rugby? Okay, no, okay. It's, it's football. Terrible. Okay. Um, most racket sports not great. Yeah. Um, cool. Do you still I paint? Do you still do you still draw? And not as much as I'd like. Yeah. But I do do it for presents, for gifts for people. Okay. So not, I, I like sort of personalizing things. So if yeah. I if I have the time, you know, and somebody is getting married, a friend yeah. of mine got married years ago, and so I did a painting of the church they got married in, for example, little yeah. things like that. Very cool, um, man. Very cool. Um, if I could give you a, uh, um, a kind of the billboard on Piccadilly Circus, you know Piccadilly Circus, like the digital kind of boards when you come out of the tube station around the fountain, and you could have three truths that you'd like to share with people that they'd walk every day and watch them and see them, what would those three truths be? Hmm. You put me on the spot there. Um, give me an example of something you're thinking of. So, so let, me, let me rephrase that. So let's say... Because they used to use this question years ago. I, d I got it from Lewis Howes. And it's effectively this, like, imagine it's your last day on earth, right? So everything you've ever built is going to be erased. Everything that you've ever shared is gone. But you get to write down three truths that you've learned about life that you want to pass on, you know, whether that's to your kids, to your friends, to the people behind you, that what you've learned about life and about this, this one life that you've had, what would those three truths be? I'd say probably number one is have courage. Mm. Um, you know, and I've got a, a young daughter and I want her to have the courage always to make the right choices and, and be brave enough, mm. you know, particularly if friend groups or the people are doing things that are not right mm. to have the courage to mm. actually be able to say, Look, no, I'm not doing this and, and stand by that. Mm. Be kind. Mm. Again, something I, I need to do more of, mm. you know, taking time to make sure that you, look for the best in people always mm. you know, having courage and be kind actually and i've thought about these things for a long time and then i i watched a, a film with my daughter and realized that it's this it's something that comes out of cinderella 
So I'm not sure whether that says something about me or not. Um, Cinderella's father said, have courage and be kind. I thought, oh, damn, that's, that's, I didn't steal it from there, but now that it's slightly compromised. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, and never give up, yeah. I suppose. Fantastic. Maybe not the truth, but you know, just there's always a way out. Yeah. Um, if you just stop and take bite-sized chunks, you know, small steps. Yeah. You know, nothing is, uh, you know, I've been in a number of things in my life where they felt at times to be overwhelming and then sure. you just have to slow down and just think of, right, let's take one step at a time and it'll all be okay. Cool. Final question. What does being unconventional mean to you? That's your second final question. Yeah, I know. I keep on, I keep on <laughs> it. What's your, un- what does unconventional mean to you? For me, unconventional um, really, so my own experience and what I encourage others to, to be is to think differently. Mm. Don't accept the status quo as being the way things have to be. Always be the person who's trying to think about other ways or innovative ways of doing things that might might be the one thing that no one else has thought of. So mm. be creative and innovative. Love that. Where can people find you? People want to work with you, find more about you? The website, um, yeah. egmnet.net. Um, I'm on Instagram, yeah. Ash Alex Cooper, Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I have you got a YouTube fun. channel, did you say before? I have a YouTube channel, yeah, EGM Network. EGM well. Network, yeah. You're gonna have, you'll be all you can find me, I'm all over. When, when are you going to be sharing that video you showed me before? Uh, that'll be in July on the anniversary of that that day in the office. Okay, yeah. cool. So people check out in July. There's going to be a really hot video. Ash, brother, thank you so much for coming uh, out. Thanks, really much. appreciate it. It was awesome. Okay. And uh, all the best. Thank you. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I generally feel inspired by Ash's story and his willingness to share and just what he's doing now today with all the experience that he's learned and everything that he can now bring back and, and, and give forward to companies and leaders and organizations and there's so much more that they can learn from it. Now, if you want to go and give Ash some love over on, on Instagram, he's pretty new, I think, to Instagram, so I'm sure you'll appreciate a little thumbs up, a little, a little, a little mention. It's Ash Alex Cooper, all attached. Cooper, that's C-O-O-P-E-R, Ash Alex Cooper. And of course, I'm over at Mark Roost and I'll have all the links to his websites and so forth in the show notes. And make sure to go and check out his video in July. Trust me, he showed it to me. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it, but it's pretty intense, pretty pretty impressive. So you'll, you'll want to check out his YouTube video when it comes out in July. Until then, make sure to stick around for next week's very special episode. We'll do a little recount. Episode 120. It's crazy. We're getting there. And it's Easter weekend, people. So I hope you're spending some time with your family, with your loved ones. Don't overdo it on the chocolates, but do have fun. Enjoy, relax, kick off the shoes. And if, like me, you're, you're planning on, on having a few intensive workouts and, and working a little bit, then I'm wishing you all the best, courage, strength, and honor in, in, in relationship to today's episode. So I love you. I appreciate you on behalf of the entire team Unconventionalist. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And share it with a friend if it feels right. If it doesn't, I love you still. Talk to you soon, and I'll see you next week.